Welcome to another edition of Big City Catholics. I'm Deacon Kevin McCormick, the Superintendent of Schools for the Diocese of Brooklyn, and I'm here with our ordinary Bishop Robert Brennan, and it's great to be with you, Bishop. Deacon Kevin, it's great to be with you. Thank you for uh, co-hosting today. Shall we start with the prayer? Sure, I'd be honored. Let's begin in the name of the Father, of the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, we're always in your presence, and as we begin this new school year, we ask you to open up all our minds and hearts and lives to see the grace that abounds in all that we do. And we ask Blessed Mother Virgin to be with us as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Amen. Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So you've had some summer. I've had a great summer. We've been hearing in the podcast, we had the pilgrimage to Lisbon, which was awesome. I had some vacation time, some family time, and priest friends over in Ireland. It was great. The downside is the New York part of summer ended on July 27th. That was the last time I put my feet inside of salt water. <laughs> well, you probably have a few days that you could sneak away. Oh, uh, yeah, part, but the season's over. Yeah. I don't go out there without the lifeguards. Yeah, so smart move. That's it. Smart move. We it's want to over. keep you around. <laughs> <laughs> I want to stick around. Good. You're right. It's been a great season, a great summer great opportunities. There's something nice about, you know, the, the pace of summer, the light. I already miss the sun in the morning and yeah. in the evening. The short, the days are already visibly shortening. And it's beginning, though, of the best time of the year, right. or at least you'd want your superintendent to think that way. School has started. Today was our first day. It was the first day in which many of our kids were back. The rest of the week, the high school and the grammar schools, the, the faculty, the administration, the kids will all be coming into school. The parents will be giving sighs of relief that they can do relax you, a little bit. Do you bit. remember that old Staples commercial where the song is, it's the most wonderful time of the year and the parents <laughs> running up and down with the, the shopping cart, throwing things in. <laughs> but bye. I, but I'll tell you this, Bishop, this is my favorite time of the year. And when I was a principal and then last year as the superintendent, I play that song all the time, much to the chagrin of my family and my colleagues. But I live for September. This, to me, is very exciting. Obviously, I love the beginning of football. I love the hope of cooler weather. But I really do love the fact that schools begin. I'm in 58th grade. I've been going to school since September of 1965. I started Our Lady Mercy in the Bronx. And I've been involved in Catholic education every year since. And to me, this is what we belong. You know, a ship looks nice in the harbor but we belong at sea, and that's why I think about schools. I think that's great. That's a great image. The ship looks nice in the harbor, but we belong at sea. I'm a four-season guy, so I really do lament the end of the summer, and I have to confess, this year I really wish the weeks were reversed. I wish we had this week's weather oh, last yeah. week and last week's weather with those brisk mornings this week. I lament the end of the summer, but once we get there, once you pass Labor Day, I'm all in, and weather-wise and the, and the new season, and whether you're in school or not, at least maybe in the church, there's something about September and new beginning. And everything is fresh. Everything's clean. People talk about New Year's resolutions on January 1st. I think most New Year's resolutions take place in September. Certainly this year, world. I'm going to whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. We, we set out goals. There's just something about the newness. Books, sometimes you start new notebooks or you just everything begins again. And that there's something to be said for that. That cyclical nature is so essential. And the way the school feels in September is different from October. It's different from January. It all kind of plays into it, much like a liturgical calendar. You know, right. we, we're in the green. Our pastors are getting ready for Advent already. Now, I don't want to rush anything. 
but it all part of that cycle. And that's what I love about you know being in 58th grade is the fact that there is that cycle. There is that rhythm, that breathing in and out. And I see it. You were at some schools today. I, I'll be at schools all week. You see it with the kids, the teachers. The floors are perfect. Right. <laughs> What's going to happen this year? Again, using the metaphor of the ship, where is our journey going to take us over these next 10 months? And it'll be the best of times. There'll be some struggles. But we're going to be there together. It's very exciting. To me, it's sort of like, obviously, the Holy Spirit is always with us. But now it's sort of like, where are we going, Chief? Put us in. We're going to see where we go. Yeah, I was at St. Athanasius today, and it was great seeing everybody arrive. Parents bringing the kids, dropping the kids off, the kids reconnecting with each other. They, too, were lamenting the end of summer. But, boy, did they fall right into the rhythm. Again, one of the things I love about our schools is there's a sense of order. Everybody comes in. They know where they're going to go. They line up. They find their lane, you might say. And they're still kids, and they're having fun. But when it's time to start, they're ready to go. I think it's a real hallmark of what we do in Catholic schools. So we take very seriously who the kids are. We know they're kids. They're supposed to act like kids. But we also know that we hold them to a standard of behavior and respect that they follow through. Kids will always respond to the expectations you give them. I was asked today by one of the media outlets, what's my message to parents today? I thought about it. I said, twofold, thanks for entrusting us with your children. And we're here to support you. One of the things that we see in our schools or one of the roles that we play is to support our families. Parents are trying to pass on the faith. The parents are trying to educate their children. Their parents are trying to form their children to be good members of society. And they also want their children to be children, to enjoy their childhood a little bit, but also to see in that time some kind of growth. And that's a big thing for us. We want to support you parents in probably the most important important roles that God can give to somebody. Oh, my goodness. And you see it. And I'm a grandfather now, so my my kids are all older. But I see what my daughter and son-in-law are going through. I see what our parents are going through. And it's scary. It's very scary. In the old days, we're men of a certain age, if you will. So in our day, grandparents, aunts, uncles, they weren't so far away. I grew up in a neighborhood where my relatives were everywhere. And now the society has fractured us. And in many ways, we need surrogate grandparents and surrogate aunts and uncles and and people who are there. And I do think our schools provide that for them because, again, you're not there from eight to three, but you've committed. You're part of it. And as you said very well, Bishop, we thank them for their trust in us. And in return, we walk with them through this whole thing. And this is something I don't think we emphasize enough. We allow kids to be kids. We never hold back the truth. We want Catholic critical thinkers. But what we talk to four-year-olds and eight-year-olds and 12-year-olds and 18-year-olds about are radically different. Not that the truth isn't there, but a six-year-old can't understand what an 18-year-old or our colleges can understand. And I think sometimes we've forgotten that in the larger society, and we can celebrate it in our schools. And the kids teach us a lot. They really do. You know, this weekend, speaking of families, this weekend is a rather historic weekend. Toward the end of last year, beginning of this year, Pope Francis approved the beatification of an entire family. I can't think of a time in history when an entire family was beatified at the same time. We have cases where, for example, the parents of St. Therese were beatified. Of course, that she herself is a saint. Now, the situation was horrendous, and they, this family rose to heroic strength. It was a set of parents and seven young children. One of them actually born during the whole melee, but the Ulma family of Poland Joseph and Victoria and their seven children hid Jewish people from the the Nazis. They hid people from the neighborhood. They weren't just doing something in an anonymous kind of a way, you know, like just like it wasn't a political kind of a thing. I think 
the man was a man of strong convictions, but they saw the humanity in every person. They saw their neighbors. These weren't just anonymous people getting killed. These are neighbors. These are people we farm with. These are people in our community. And they were being hunted down by the Nazis in an inhumane manner. And this courageous couple and their children hid people for well over a year in their attic. And they did it out of love. They didn't get anything out of it. It cost them their lives, but such admiration for the mom and dad that they taught their children, this is what we do. This is, this is we what, are, we, what we have we to take care of it. And it doesn't matter that they don't come and worship the way we do. These are all God's children. And thankfully, we don't live in a time that you know, Germany and Poland and, and other places in, in Europe in the, in the 40s had to go through. But at the same time, the idea of calling our families to be places of courage, to stand for the truth, to stand and not be afraid and, and to support your children when, when there's a situation where you know, someone is challenging the dignity of all life, from the womb to the tomb, the dignity of someone who may not look like you or speak with your accent or whatever. And that's becoming more of a struggle. And I do believe that our people of faith, I mean, I think Catholics do it the best because that's intramural, but okay, inside, people of faith who are dedicated to the understanding of God's presence in all that they do, they respond. That's it. And in this particular case, this couple, Joseph and Victoria, they were deeply religious, believing people. My understanding is that Joseph himself was deeply motivated by the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in fact, in one of the articles I was reading about the whole thing, in the family Bible, after everything had happened, there were two passages in the Gospel of Luke that were underlined. And they were from a related kind of a section. So the first was the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with everything you have, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He underlined that. And then the other passage that he had underlined involved that parable of the Good Samaritan. These were not just people doing good things, but these were people who were deeply rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That experience of the gospel really informed their decisions in how they were going to live their family life. I think a lot of people struggle with the question of where is the sacred? Where is holy places? So when you see a church, that's a holy place. The bishop, the priest, the sister, the deacon, they may be holy people. But the fact is, and I, I know you agree with me on this, the, the sacredness of God is in creation. It's in the sloppiness of the everyday. It's in the common, ordinary, unspectacular flow of life. It's there that we meet our God. It's not up in the mountains, for some maybe. Most of us listening to this podcast know it's going to be in the grocery store, on the, even the Bell Parkway. They may find some kind of way of grace. <laughs> but that idea of finding grace where God has put you, this Alma family, they paid the ultimate price, but they had the ability to see 2020, the grace that surrounded them, and weren't afraid. To pay. I mean, they, they, certainly they were afraid, but it didn't stop them. It didn't paralyze them from doing what God needed them to do. Exactly. And that God gives us the grace to do it. As you said before, thankfully, most of us, probably none of us, will have to face those kinds of choices. But it does give us a glimpse at the holiness of life as a family, that, and that families transform the world around us, that families, by the authentic living of the gospel, by being rooted in the truth, by living in love for each other as a family, but also as a family loving those who are in need, recognizing the dignity of every human person, no matter what, it gets sometimes harder and harder to do it. To be faithful as Catholics gets sometimes harder and harder to do it when you find people mocking your belief or, or even sometimes persecution. There was a story about a family in Massachusetts 
that was refused adoption simply because they were Catholic. And because they were Catholic, they would take on certain value judgments that would not be mm-hmm. acceptable in secular society. We do have to face tough choices. And thank God, we're surrounded by a lot of families who make those sacrifices. And you have people who've dedicated themselves to celebrating God in everything they do. We also come up on a, a rather somber anniversary. Monday is the 11th, 9-11 right. again. We were much younger men back then. You know, I do remember very vividly, I'm sure you do too, and those of us who are old enough to remember that. You remember, if you're under 26, 27, you don't remember that. You know, that's, know. isn't that wild? Uh, and you right. were born if you were 22 years ago. That's right. But after that happened, in the midst of the chill of the horror, do you remember the love that was everywhere? People kind of put aside the stuff that didn't matter. They focused on what did matter. I wonder, Bishop, do we need to be hit in the head to see it sometimes? Sadly, that's true. We do respond, don't we? And we saw in those days, in 2001, the horrors of hatred, but the best of humanity. And you know, we talk about this family. I'm glad you said this. I hadn't thought of making this connection. One of the questions I'm thinking is, I'm looking at the Oma family, I'm saying, wow, what were all the factors that had to go into them making this decision? And in some ways you had to say, gee, am I putting my family at risk? But think of all the people on September 11th who had many reasons to say, maybe I should hold back because my family, but they went running into that building. People made sacrifices that weren't just their own sacrifices. They made sacrifices that their family feel even today, 22 years later. They didn't care what nationality they were, they didn't care what language they spoke. Everybody was there. Everybody was there. And the opportunity was created and the overwhelming majority responded in such a way. I can't help but think of Father Michael Judge as the symbol of that and him being carried. He gave everything. But there were 3,000 others that could have been carried the way he was. It's a very sobering time, but I do think it gives us reason for hope. We see the crucifix as the ultimate sign of hope. So even in the deepest despair, the planes don't have the final word. The Nazis don't have the final word. Death doesn't have the final word. And so for us years later to be remembering and honoring a family that stood tall in the 1940s. For us now to remember so many of the heroes of 2001, it shows that there is something stronger than death. And of course, we know that the ultimate final answer is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and the fact that we were created for something even greater. The tomb is empty. But that's April or March. I don't know if it's April or March (laughs) this year, but that's... uh, Look, it's time for new beginnings, and we give thanks for people like the Alma family. We give thanks for those people who sacrificed at 9-11. We give thanks for our own families that sacrificed so you could be a bishop and I could be a deacon and, and our parents and my, my wife and children, all the things. We all we we think all about finish. people who have made long journeys. I'm thinking of like my grandfather and people who made long journeys under difficult circumstances so that their children could have opportunities. We look at the asylum seekers today, and I know there are a lot of political arguments that are very important political arguments. We're dealing with a very bad immigration system when the church has been calling for years for comprehensive immigration reform. But when I visit with some of the people who made this journey, they've made difficult choices for the best for their children. We started off talking about our schools, families making tremendous sacrifices so that their children can be children. They're making tremendous financial sacrifices. I think of my own parents, five children at one time in Catholic schools. I don't know how people do it. And they do. People work so hard to provide some opportunities. People work hard bringing their children to Mass on Sunday or to religious ed when there are so many other activities going on because they know that the gift of friendship with Jesus matters more than anything else. And then being rooted in the truth, standing up 
the dignity of life, standing up for the dignity of every human person. There are many heroes who had to make some really tough choices, and God bless them, they did. But there are lots of people and lots of families that have to make choices every day. We and stand on their shoulders. We stand on That's their shoulders. it. We stand on their shoulders. It may seem hackneyed, but I love it. They plant seeds for trees that they'll never rest under the shade of. That's St. Anthony of Padua. Yeah, is it? Oh, cool. Yeah, that is. I <laughs> but it's, that's what we're supposed to do. Yeah. That's what we're supposed to do. Yeah. So it's going to be a great year. I know we'll have plenty of time to speak with each other and, and all the other great things that are going on. Our religious ed programs are opening up. The parishes are renewed and, and raised off from vacation. The schools, that's my focus. But man, there's so many wonderful, great things that are going to be happening. And I'm glad to be a small part I of it. I have a day this week with the catechist. I'm looking forward to the catechist appreciation. We're going to pray with them at Mass and celebrate their generous service in our religious education programs this week. We have this year of Eucharistic Revival. First Saturday in October, isn't it? October 7th. 7th. Yep. October 7th. Again, I keep begging the listeners of this podcast, we need to pray for good weather that yes. day. I'm depending on it. And we're really looking forward to it. I'm hearing some parishes or deaneries are sending buses. Yeah. This could be a really good experience of our being the church. It's the body of Christ gathers around the altar, around the body of Christ to be fed, to be body of Christ here in Brooklyn and Queens. So this is a year of revival, and we want to get to the, the heart of that. It's not just a day. We want to have that day, and we also have the New York State event, and then next at summer, the national event. The Eucharistic revival isn't just about events, but the events spur us on. In the common, ordinary, unspectacular flow of everyday life. Beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. So thank you for co-hosting today. I pray that we've started off on a good foot. We know that, but that, that energy kind of sustains us as we go forward in the year ahead. Great things ahead. Thank you for joining us for another edition of Big City Catholics. We look forward to being with you next week. And now we ask for God's blessing. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon him with kindness and grant you his peace. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you and have a good week. Amen.